Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Uh, welcome. Uh, we're glad that you are here. If you're a guest of ours, we are honored to have you with us this morning. I want to tell you that I'm going to do something today that I have only done once or twice as a preacher, and that is I'm changing my lesson because of something that happened during the week. I was all set to go into Acts chapter 17 uh, this Sunday. Powerful chapter. But God's put it on my heart to talk about something else this morning. And it really isn't the storm that we've been paying such close attention to. Four days ago, our Bay Area church family was saddened and quite frankly shocked to learn of the passing of our brother Orlando Henlon Sr., I've known Orlando and his family for over 20 years. I know many of you go back much, much farther than that. Um, This morning as a family, we're grieving. And there's really no other way to put it. We are hurting as a family. And we grieve when we lose any loved one. But Orlando really had an integral part of who we are and, and what we're about here at Bay Area. Served as an elder here at Bay Area for for many, many years. Worked at directing and guiding and shepherding uh, this family. And I'm not sure most people really understand the pressure uh, that our elders are under. Uh, It's the accountability that they take so seriously, the the responsibility uh, that they have. Time, energy, effort, the weight of being accountable to God for our souls. Remember in 2 Corinthians, while the Apostle Paul was listing all the hardships that he has, remember how he ended that thought? He said, besides all this, I have the daily burden of how the churches are getting along. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? And what Paul was saying is, one of my brothers or sisters are struggling. I feel it in my bones. When one of my brothers or sisters is led into sin, there's a fire that burns within me. Our shepherds bear that same burden. Your spiritual wellness consumes them. And to lose one of those faithful men so unexpectedly, um, we're reeling. Again, that's just, the, that's just the reality. I made a comment in last week's sermon. I was talking about joy, but I made the comment, there are times when grieving is the only thing we could do. Little did I know that just a few days later, that's exactly where we would be as a family today. So, this morning, I'm asking for a little bit of grace as we step out of the book of Acts. And I'm asking for a little bit of grace as we collectively grieve together. I'm also asking for a little bit of grace as we remind ourselves the very reason that we're here, even on hard days like this. And I want to set up my thoughts this morning uh, with an example. You're aware that there are some lines in movies that just become iconic in pop culture. You know, you might not remember what movie they come from, but you've heard this line so often that you recognize the line, and it's used in all kinds of different situations. We're not in Kansas anymore. People say that all the time about different situations. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. You know, we hear that quote all the time. I want to set up my thoughts with a quote that you're going to recognize and at least most of you will, especially if you're younger than about 50. Um, It doesn't come from quite as famous of movies as Wizard of Oz or um, The Godfather. Thank you. (laughs) 
It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a step down from that movie-wise, uh, Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. Uh, in Dumb and Dumber, uh, Jim Carrey plays a very socially awkward guy. And he's pursuing this beautiful woman. And they have a very famous conversation. The guy's name's Lloyd. And I can't remember if Lloyd's dumb or dumber. But uh, anyway, he asked this beautiful girl a question. He said, I got a question for you. Straight out. Flat out. And I want you to give me an honest answer. What's the chances of someone like me ending up with someone like you? And she's trying to be kind. And she says, well, Lloyd, you know, we don't really know each other that well. No, flat out. Just give me the answer. I've come a long way to ask you this question. Just give it to me straight. What are my chances? And she says, "Mm, not good. Not good like one in a hundred? More like one in a million. And then comes the famous line that everybody uses in all kinds of situations where Lloyd smiles and says, so you're saying there's a chance. It might be one in a million, but you're saying there's a chance. Listen, this morning, God's put it on my heart to talk to you about hope. And I'm not talking about the one in a million kind of hope. I'm not saying, so you're saying there's a chance. I really hope this is going to happen. I'm talking about spiritual hope. Now, hope is a wonderful thing. It is a beautiful gift from God. But spiritual hope goes so much deeper And so much further than that. Spiritual hope, the hope that we have because of the resurrection of Jesus. A Christian is able to say, with certainty, absolutely, the hope that lies within me isn't some pie in the sky, boy, if everything works out just right. It is a certainty. Charles Swindoll says this about hope. When we're trapped in a tunnel of misery... Hope is the light at the end of that tunnel. When we're overworked and exhausted, hope is what gives us energy. When we're discouraged, hope lifts our spirits. When we want to quit, hope keeps us moving. When we struggle with a disease or a lingering illness, hope allows us to see beyond the pain. When we must endure consequences of bad decisions, hope fuels our recovery. When we're forced to sit back and wait, Hope gives us the patience to trust. When we feel rejected or abandoned, hope reminds us we're not alone. We'll make it. When we say our final farewell to someone we love, hope in the life beyond gets us through our grief. And I think what he is saying is quite simply, when life hurts and dreams fade, nothing helps like hope. And we can agree with that, can't we? When life does not go like we think it should or when we, when it takes a turn for the worse, there's nothing that helps like hope. Hope is such a powerful force, a tremendous motivator. Without hope, people in rehab centers, they won't work to get better. Without hope, students who are struggling in school, they'll, they'll just give up, drop out. Without hope, marriages that are struggling will, will throw in the towel. Without hope, families that are struggling will never put in the work to get healthy. Without hope, addicts return to their habits. Without hope, we'll never be able to see what's happening beyond what's happening right in front of us, right here, right now. Hope is not just some nice option. Hope is not something in the back of our mind. If everything works out perfect. No, hope is 
It is needed for survival. It is vital for us to survive. Open up your Bibles to 1 Peter. You probably knew I was maybe headed to 1 Peter. As you're getting there, let me tell you something that you already know. We're different. Not only me and you, I mean all of us. We're different. You know, the, the, the book, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. Yeah, the, the more we get to know each other, the, the more different we become. We don't look alike. We don't act alike. We don't think alike. We have different tastes in food, different tastes in the books that we read, the music that we like. Our backgrounds are different. Our hobbies are different. Our education levels are different. Our heights, our weights, hairstyles, skin color. We have a lot of differences. But there's one thing we all have in common. We're all looking for something to hold on to. Everybody is looking for something to hold on to. And as Peter is writing this letter that we know as 1 Peter, he's writing to people who are desperately looking for something to hold on to. The men and women that Peter wrote to knew what it was like to be away from home. Not by choice, but by force. In fact, Peter's going to call them scattered strangers. We're going through tremendous suffering. Tremendous persecution. It's 15 times in 1 Peter, Peter is going to reference their suffering. He's going to use eight different Greek words to do it. Some of these Christians were suffering because they weren't living godly lives. They were making poor choices. Some of these people that he's writing to were suffering because they were living godly lives. They were trying to follow Jesus, and they're finding themselves ostracized and harassed and imprisoned, even killed because of their faith in Jesus. So Peter writes some things to encourage them. He writes a letter to bring them and to bring us hope. And he begins it this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world, scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Peter begins this thing by introducing himself and recognizing his audience. He says, I'm Peter, an apostle. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. I carry some weight. I know what I'm talking about. I'm writing to Christians who have been scattered but also I'm writing to Christians who have been chosen. And then immediately in verse 3, Peter begins penning some of the most hopeful words that you will find anywhere in Scripture. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These are come to you so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
Those seven verses at the very beginning of Peter's letter are some of the most encouraging verses you will find anywhere in Scripture. If you don't have those verses marked or underlined or starred in your Bible, then you don't write in your Bible. Because that's about as good as it gets. When you talk about hope, when you talk about encouragement, those seven verses are about as good as it gets. Let me share those seven verses with you again uh, from the message. Uh, It might speak to you a little bit more plainly. What a God we serve. And how fortunate we are to have Him, this Father of our Master Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. God's keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all, life healed and whole. I know how great this makes you feel, even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. Pure gold put in the fire comes out proved pure. Genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence of His victory. You never saw Him, yet you love Him. You still don't see Him, yet you trust Him with laughter and singing. Because you kept on believing, you'll get what you're looking forward to. Total salvation. How do you read passages like that without being encouraged? How do you read passages like that without being filled with hope? Really, without, without being changed. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Peter is writing about hope. He's writing about hope through the resurrection and the victory that Jesus had over the grave. If anybody would know what they were talking about when it comes to the resurrection and to hope, it would have been Peter. Remember that uh, Peter saw the mob as they came to arrest Jesus. In fact, it was Peter who drew his sword, cut off Malchus's ear, trying to defend Jesus. Then it was Peter that followed behind at a distance and ended up around a campfire where he denied even knowing Jesus three times. And then Peter sat with the other disciples for three days wondering what was going to become of their little movement because Jesus was gone. But it was also Peter that ran to the tomb early that Sunday morning. John outran him, but John stopped at the entrance of the tomb. Peter went on in. Then it was Peter who had a fish fry with Jesus on the beach. And Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And three times Peter said, Jesus, you know I love you. Yeah, if anybody was qualified to write about the resurrection and to write about hope, it was Peter. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. So the obvious question becomes, with all this good news... With all these promises, why do so many people, why do so many Christians seem to live life without much hope? Why do so many people live what seems to be hopeless lives? There's a hero in Canada named Sir Alistair Mackenzie. He actually found a way to the Pacific Ocean 11 years before Lewis and Clark did. But on his first attempt, he found a river that he thought was going to lead to the Pacific. It was a pretty treacherous river, but he and his expedition actually navigated the river, ended up in the ocean, but it wasn't the Pacific Ocean. 
It was the Arctic Ocean. The name of that river now is the McKinsey River. But that's not what McKinsey called the river. He named it the River of Disappointment. How many of you feel like you've been floating down the river of disappointment? How many of you feel like, you know, my life, I just don't see the hope. I don't see the purpose. I don't see the, the reason. With all the promises, all the assurances, still, life feels hopeless. And in our hopelessness, we settle for a marriage that's over maybe before it's over. And in our hopelessness, we give up on a person because someone else has given up on them. And in our hopelessness, we, we stay tied to an addiction that doesn't let go. We stay trapped in a sin that, that drags us down. In our hopelessness, we settle for this dry, mundane, boring life that we call Christianity, and, and we see it as normal. You know what keeps us on that river of disappointment? I'm convinced it's not so much the presence of evil, it's the absence of hope. Just people who don't have anything to live for. And the only cure for the absence of hope is an awareness of the presence of God and the power of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter says, you are not who you used to be. As a follower of Jesus, you're not who you used to be before you were introduced to Jesus. Before Jesus was the Lord of your life, you used to be in darkness. Now you're in light. You used to not have an identity. Now you have an identity. You're children of God's. You used to be hopeless. Now you have a promise and an assurance Paul would say it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. That's who you were. Verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. The cure for hopelessness is the awareness, the power of God, and the presence of Jesus in our lives. Now, you've probably seen the illustration before where someone holds up a glass, an empty glass, and they say the glass is really not empty, it's full of air, right? There's air in an empty glass. And they say, how could we maybe get the air out of that glass? And there's some ways to do that if we want to take air out of a glass. You could take it to a lab somewhere where they could seal it somehow and create a vacuum and you know, suck all the air out. You have to have the right, circ- or the right uh, atmospheric pressure there or the glass would shatter, of course. But you could do it. It's been done. Or if you had the connections or, or the means, I guess you could somehow get that glass into outer space. 
where there is no atmosphere, there is no air, and there would be no air inside the glass, right? But we all know there's a whole lot easier solution than that. You know, just take something and pour into the glass. Something as simple as water in the glass. If you filled it up with something else, the air that was there would, would leave. We're trying to get rid of hopelessness. Trying to get rid of the hopelessness that you feel in your life, you've got to replace it with something. An awareness of the presence of God and the power of Jesus. When that river of disappointment is abandoned for the, the road of righteousness, then do we really start experiencing that living hope that Peter writes about. Not the, so you're saying there's a chance. But the hope that says, absolutely, there is a crown of righteousness reserved. Hope changes your outlook. Changes your life. I saw a Winnie the Pooh cartoon where Winnie the Pooh is talking to Piglet. And Piglet asks Winnie the Pooh, what's the first thing you say to yourself in the morning when you wake up? And Winnie the Pooh said, mm, first thing I say is, what's for breakfast? <laughs> he said, well, Piglet, what do you say to yourself when you wake up? Piglet says, the first thing I say to myself is, I wonder what exciting things are going to happen to me today. Now, that's a life that's sort of focused on hope, right? Peter's going to say this in chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I am holy. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Heard about a father who took his little boy to the dog pound. He was going to pick out a puppy to take home. And, of course, there's dozens of puppies barking in the, in the big room. And the little boy looks over in a corner, and he sees a puppy that's just wagging his tail like crazy. And he said, Dad, that's the one I want. And his father said, Great. What, what caused you to choose that puppy? The little boy said, I want the one with a happy ending. <laughs> Don't we all... Don't we all want the happy ending? Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's where our hope needs to be. The grace given us through Jesus Christ. Our hope set on things that the world can't affect. Hurricanes won't weaken it. Economic downturns won't shake it. Cancer. Heart attacks. Stroke won't defeat it. As a church family, as I said, we're hurting today. We're grieving the loss of our brother Orlando. But we're also reminding ourselves of the hope that he clung to. The hope that that gives us a reason to celebrate his victory. Just like every other loved one that's gone on before who who has died in Christ. Brothers and sisters that we all have known, uh, we have been surrounded by a a great cloud of witnesses. So we're going to set our hope on their example. 
But we're going to set our hope on Jesus. We're going to set our hope on the power of the resurrection and the promises that are made to us, made by a God who's never broken a promise yet. And it's not, so you're saying there's a chance. It is an assurance because of Jesus. The Jesus of borrowed tombs and empty grave clothes. The living hope that's promised to every believer. Let's stand and sing.